0: I am, uh, I know you can hear me, been asked to record these, so we're recording this tonight. Is, that, is the are the acoustics terrible, is that okay? Sometimes if you use this lapel out of there, it echoes, is it okay? All right, I don't like to record because I don't like to listen to myself, but some people endure it. Would you go to the kitchen and get me a couple of paper towels? Mm -hmm. Our crowd, the cold, diminished our crowd for the night. Thank you. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the day. Thank you that we can close it together uh, as a body of believers. And we pray that you would bless our time together in your word. Pray that you would make it profitable for us. And as always, we pray that you would be our teacher, that the Holy Spirit would illumine us, that we might see the depth and the riches and the truth of your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are in our study of uh, the book of Romans, there's a little brief review. Uh, you might recall that we gave a kind of a simple outline last week and that is uh, chapter 1 through, I think it's 3, something like that. Talks about the need of salvation. Or another way we described it was God's Holiness in condemning sin. All right? Uh, Chapter 3, maybe 22, don't hold me to those verses, through chapter 4, talk about the way of salvation. Or we said it's God's grace in saving sinners. Chapters 5 through 8, talk about... The life of salvation. Or we said God's power. In sanctifying believers. Chapters uh, 9 through 11. Talk about the scope of salvation. And we saw there. That's God's sovereignty. You can't read that but God's sovereignty and salvation. Okay. That's chapters 1 through 11. Chapter 12 begins with that all-important word, therefore. Okay? And chapters 12 through 16 are the practical side. This is the theological, doctrinal, if you will, chapters 1 through 11. Chapters 12 through 16 are the practical or the application side of the book of Romans. Now, last week we looked at chapter 1 and we're going to try to take a chapter a week for the most part. And um, we saw there after the kind of introductory part where Paul deals with uh, his relationship with the, with the um, um, uh, Romans. He began to deal with this whole problem of the need of salvation or God's holiness in condemning sinners. And you might recall with uh, beginning with verse 18 of chapter one, he began to talk about how God is angry with the wicked, with the pagans, with the Gentiles, if you will, with those who live apart from the light of the gospel. And uh, we saw there that um, his uh, uh, wrath is revealed against them and that eventually he turns them over uh, to their own uh, evil and natural uh, desires. Now, when we come to chapter 2, Paul is going to kind of expand that a little bit. And he's going to talk about how the same principle of God's anger against sin is not just toward the heathen or the pagans or the Gentiles, but it's also toward the Jews. And so what we have in chapter one is an indictment of the pagans. In chapter two, we have an indictment of the Jews. And if you look at with me at chapter two, verse one. It refers, in, 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 in my text, to the second line. Every one of you who passes judgment, that's what the Jews did. They passed judgment on everyone who wasn't like them, who wasn't a Jew. If you look over in verse 17, he names them. But if you bear the name Jew. All right, so Paul is addressing, in chapter 2, the Jewish community. And he has some harsh words to say for the Jews. In fact, he begins, I think, on purpose, probably, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, kind of sticking the, you know, kind of goading, kind of sticking the, the stick in their side. Notice what he says. What do you say about them in in verse 1 of chapter 2? Therefore you what? You have no excuse. Look back, look back to chapter 1. The end of chapter 1 in verse 20. What did it say about the, the pagans? You're without excuse. Saying the same thing to the Jews, he said about them. You are, he says, just like they are. You are without excuse. For he says, in that which you judge another, you condemn yourselves. Why do they, how do they condemn themselves into verse 1? All right. Practice. What things? Remember that long list of things back in chapter 1? that We just kind of passed over it. But going back to verse 28 of chapter 1 where it says, just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to depraved mind to do those things which are not proper he lists those things that are not proper. All unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, end evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And, God, and by this point, the Jews would have all been saying, amen, brother. That's just what those old pagans are like. You've nailed them. And now Paul turns around and says, but you practice the same things. He didn't say it once. Look at him into verse two. You who, what? Practice the same things. Middle of verse three. Those who practice such things. So Paul is drawing them back to what he just said and said, you too do the same things you who pass judgment on the others who look down your nose at the Gentiles, the pagans. In judging them, you condemn yourself. You bring condemnation on yourself because you practice the same things. Notice he also in this first section talks several times about the judgment of God. Verse two. He refers to the judgment of God into verse 3, the judgment of God. In verse 5, he talks about the day of wrath and revelation, which is the judgment of God. And Paul is saying that you Jews, you Jews, just like the pagans, fall under the just judgment of God. Look at verse 2. He says, we know that the judgment of God... My text says rightly falls. Anybody have a different translation? Use the word truth. Is everybody using my text? Rightly falls, rightly falls. Okay. That is God always judge judges righteously or with truth or in the right way. And he says his judgment falls on those who practice those ungodly things. Then verse 3, talking to the Jews now. But do you suppose, O oh man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things, and do the same yourself, that you'll escape the judgment of God? That is, Why, why do you think you can get away with it? Why would the Jews think they can get away with it? All right. That, that, that bleeds through this whole chapter is the Jews thought they were in this privileged position with God. And because God had chosen them to be his people, because God had set his favor upon them, they thought that they could basically live how they wanted and God would still accept them as his people. How do you think that you will escape the judgment of God? Does anybody escape the judgment of God? The Bible says we will all one day stand before the judgment seat of God. And we're going to talk more about that in just a little bit. He says in verse 4, and this is kind of part of that same thing John just referred to. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience? That's what God had been toward the Jews. He had been kind, tolerant, and patient. For years and years and years and years, God was tolerant and patient with the Jews. And finally, you know, the Bible says God wants to strive with man forever. And, you know, he brought judgment upon the nation of Israel from their enemies. But here he says, do you think lightly of his, and it's not just his kindness, tolerance and patience, it's the riches of it. What is God's kindness and tolerance and patience supposed to do for us? Where is it supposed to lead us? To repentance. Don't you, don't you realize that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. But then, verse 5 But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're doing what? What are you doing, John? Storing up wrath. <laughs> that ought to get somebody's attention. Storing up wrath. For yourself in the day of wrath and revelation in the righteous judgment of God. All right, we got the Jews, we got the pagans in chapter one, and we got the Jews in chapter two. And we've got judgment. Who's going to receive the greater judgment? That's right. Greater judgment falls upon those who have the greater light, who exposed to the greater truth. And, and Paul says of them, you are storing up wrath. Now, it's not stored up just to stay stored up in, in eternity. It, it is being stored up until when? Till the day of judgment. When God then unleashes that wrath against <coughs> his enemies. And the Jews would think, That's not us! That's not us! And Paul says, Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is you too. So, God's going to bring this day of judgment. It's going to include not just the pagans, but the Jews, unbelieving Jews, in it. And notice how that judgment will be meted out, or on what basis. Verse six it says, "God will render to each person what according to his, deed. according to his what deed. deeds." Yeah. Does that mean we're saved by works? No. <laughs> Going to judge us according to our to our deeds, according to what we have done. Turn with me to um, Matthew chapter uh, sixteen. This is a recurring theme in the New Testament. Somebody read Matthew sixteen twenty-seven, and you get there. <laughs> According to what he has done, you want to pay him. Uh, let's go to Second Corinthians five ten. Same thing, somebody gets there. If you don't hurry, Cody's going to beat you. <laughs> All right. Well, recompensed for his deeds in the body. What he's done, good or bad. One more, Revelation uh, chapter uh, 20. I think that's right. I better look at it myself. can't read my scribbling. Yeah. Revelation twenty thirteen, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and eighties gave of the dead which are in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Deeds, according to what you have done. Where do our deeds come from? All right, they are good works, but where, where do our good works come from? From a heart, that's right. And so he's not saying we've been judged by our deeds, but our deeds prove the reality of our faith. You remember what James said? James says, faith without works is what? Dead. Then he said, I will show you my works. My, excuse me, I got that backwards. I'll show you my faith by what? By my works. Okay? So here's the thing. Faith is kind of the subjective part of our salvation and works are the objective part of it. Jesus said, it's by their fruits that you'll know them. And so... The Bible says God will render to each person according to his deeds, but his deeds are a reflection of his heart or a manifestation of his faith. Now, if you look at verses 7 through 10, there, there are two contrasts in verses 7 through 10. He's still addressing the Jews, still talking about their disobedience. In the first part of verse 7, he talks about those who By perseverance in doing good, seek for glory and honor and immortality, okay? And he says they receive what? Eternal life. Verse 8. But those who are selfishly ambitious and don't obey the truth, that's the opposite of the people just described in verse 7, okay? What do they receive? Wrath and indignation, all right? Verse 9, there'll be tribulation and distress for who? All right, those who do evil. And then in verse 10, there'll be glory, honor, and peace to who? Everyone who does good, all right? So he's saying the same thing in verse 7 and 8 and verse 9 and 10, just saying it backwards, that those who seek obedience receive eternal life. And those who don't seek obedience, receive wrath and indignation. And he says twice in verses nine and 10, that applies to who? And also the Greek. That's right. To the Jew first and also the Greek. You know, it is clear the Jews had primacy in the Bible. They were our God's chosen people. And they were privileged in many ways. But the problem was, and this is what Paul is saying here, they didn't, you know, with with every privilege there comes, and if I've said this to my children once, I've said it 50 times when they were children, younger. With every privilege there comes a what? Responsibility. Responsibility. And they failed in their responsibility. And verse 11 he kind of sums up that to the Jew and the Greek where he says, In verse 11, there is no partiality with God. All right, any questions about that before we move on? First 11 verses. I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, and that he's not talking about believers here. Those who, by perseverance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality that is, those who have a changed heart they receive eternal life. But those who are selfishly ambitious, don't obey the truth those are people who have a hard heart they receive wrath and indignation. Does that make sense? Maybe I'm missing your. Yes, that's right. of that's do all the way or do our every day. not about that. about That's right. Yeah, here you hear And that takes I think it is. Yeah, yeah, it's a a matter of eternal judgment, heaven or hell, not the judgment in terms of rewards and for good works we have done and status in heaven or whatever, as we might say. What What he's trying to say is God's judgment will come on the Jews and the Greeks equally for the same reason if they don't and we're going to talk about that more in just a little bit. If they don't live out a true faith in Jesus Christ, demonstrated by their works or obedience, all right. If you still got questions? Then let's come back to that. Okay. All right. Um, verses twelve through sixteen. Remember last week we talked about how. There are no true atheists in the world, how everyone has some sense of God consciousness. You know, the, 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 the reality of God is not just evident to them, but it's evident within them. We're made in the image of God. We have the mark of God upon us. But we see the ev- evidence of God in creation, the heavens declare the glory of God. Here he, he's basically saying the same thing. Uh, But he begins in verse 12, talking against the contrast. Verse 12, he talks about those who have sinned without the law. Who's that? Who's that? Gentiles, pagans. Then he talks about, still verse 12, those who have sinned under the law. Who's that? That's the Jews, all right? He says, now, those who have sinned without the law will, will perish without the law. He didn't say Those without the law are going to be saved because they didn't know better. Remember last week? They are without what? Without excuse. Here he says, Those who perish without the law, those who sin without the law will perish without the law because they know enough about God to seek him if they would. And all who have sinned under the law be judged by the law. That's the Jews. For it is not the hearers only. And that's the Jews. They heard it over and over and over and over again. They heard the law. It's not the hearers only who are just before God, but it's the doers who will be justified. That's again what James says. We're not just to be hearers of of the word, we're to be doers of the word. Now here it is. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law instinctively do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law or a law to themselves. That is, they have a moral awareness. Verse 15, and that they show the work of the law in their hearts. And we talked last week how there isn't a society anywhere that doesn't have some sense of right and wrong. Now, it may not be the same as ours, but people have a, of, of a sense of, of what's right and what is wrong. They have this moral Awareness within them, and, and that's what Paul's saying here. The Gentiles, but they might not have the law, but they show—they show. They show uh, whoever's listening to this, I apologize for that. <laughs> that. They're law to themselves because they show that they understand right from wrong. And um, again, he talks about the day of judgment in uh, verse sixteen. When on the day of judgment, according to my gospel, he says, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. And so he's talking about, you know, again, he's laying an equal plane here. He's saying Jews and Gentiles equally will be judged by God. Pagans, even though they don't have the law, they're going to perish under the law. Jews, they have the law, they disobey it, they will uh, perish or be judged by the law. So uh again he's he's saying that God's uh holiness is demonstrated against all the wickedness of men, both Jews and Gentiles alike. Now he, he turns again directly to the Jews in verse 17. And he he in verses 17 and um eighteen he lists five things that they took pride in. The first one is simply their name. If you're called a what? A Jew. Look, there was prominence in being a Jew. They were God's chosen people. God had set his affection upon them. And he had called them uh, to be his peculiar treasure. So... All right, they're Jews. What else? What does it say about them in 17 and 18? Rely on the law. All right. Rely on the law. What else? Still 17. What's that? You got it. All right. They boast in God, in primarily in their relationship with God. What else? All right. They, they know his will. What else? We may come up with six things here. What else? Ooh, I'm about out of time. What else? All right. And what am one more? And that goes back to, us I just put it up here. They are instructed, taught out of the law. All right, that's in their relationship to God. These prideful things. they are Jews they lie on the law. They boast in God. They know his will. They approve uh, whatever the text says there. Um, things that are essential. And then in verses 19 and 20, they're proud about things in relation to others. Verse 19, he says, you're confident that you yourself are what? Guide to the blind, light to those in darkness, 20, corrector of the foolish, teacher of the immature, okay? So they have these things that they take great pride in, both in their relationship to God and to other people. And yet he turns to them and says, you, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You preach that one shall not steal. Do you steal? You say that one should not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? you report idols? Do you rob idols? Do you boast of the law through your breaking of the law? Do you dishonor God? And so what he's saying is you boast in all these things and yet you turn around and do just the opposite. Then he says, for, verse 24, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. That is, the Jews, their responsibility in response to the privilege was to be a holy people. Be God's peculiar people. And when they bore God's name and didn't live out the life of God, the nations around them would say, where is your God? Who is your God? What is your God like? God's name was blasphemed because of them. Look, that principle still holds today. If the church doesn't live out what it's supposed to be, it blasphemes the name of God that it bears. That's how a serious responsible we're supposed to be with our conduct before the Lord one last section verses 25 through uh, 29 and he's still hammering at the Jews and he gets to a very sensitive area and that's the whole matter of their circumcision was sensitive because they believed, many of them believed that this was the guarantee of their salvation. That if indeed they had received the sign of the covenant, they were untouchable and God would preserve them to the very end. Notice what he says in verse 25, for indeed circumcision is a value if you practice the law. That is, circumcision has no value if if you don't fulfill what the circumcision points to. Verse 25, but if you are transgressive of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. That is, that is, is a, you might as well be uncircumcised if you don't fulfill what the circumcision dictated or pointed to. Verse 26, so if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law. Will not his circumcision become regarded as circumcision? That is, if the uncircumcised lives more, like, more obediently than the, uncir- than the circumcised, he's, he's living more like a Jew than the true Jew is. Verse twenty seven, he who is physically uncircumcised if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who through though having the letter of the law and circumcision are a transgression of the law? For and here's the key in verse twenty-eight, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but a Jew is one who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. You see, The Jews rested upon the external sign. They failed to focus upon the internal reality that the rite of circumcision was to demonstrate. It's not the removal of skin that mattered. It's the removal of the hardness of the heart that mattered. You, the true Jew, is not one who's Circumcised outwardly, who is circumcised in the heart. What is that parallel today in the church? Pray, pray. What's that? Pray, 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 pray. All right, just kind of going through the motions of a prayer. What else? What sacrament? Baptism. People say, Well, I was baptized. And they rely upon their baptism for their salvation. Well, baptism points to something, doesn't it? It points to the washing of water with the blood of Christ. The cleansing. If we don't live like cleansed people, then we deny the reality of what our baptism signifies. And so you can see that that Paul's been hammering the Jews, showing them their guilt before God in many ways the unbelieving Jew was not any better and really had more liability than the lost pagan himself any questions your husband left before I got to go back to his question Um, we're going to pick up next week with chapter 3 in the first 20 verses he finishes up this whole section about the need of salvation And he's just going to make it universal. He talked about the pagans, talked about the Jews. Now he's going to say, look, it's it's about everybody. And then we're going to start looking at the the way of salvation in verse 21. And we'll do that next week, God willing. All right. Thank you all. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for uh, the time together and for your word and for your blessing upon our exposure to it tonight. And pray that we might live as your people, as your chosen people, those whom you've called out of darkness into light. And may our lives reflect it. May our works demonstrate it. May our our deeds show it and prove it. Help us live out our faith in a way that honors and glorifies you and does not blaspheme your name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank y'all.